Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and, well, I'm actually not the host of this particular episode because we're debuting a new little series over here. And a lot of you are probably very familiar with the reviewing the news segment that Jonathan Ellsworth and Cody Townsend do over on our Blister podcast. And, well, we are firing up the bike version of that here and in a little bit of a change of format our reviewer and bike guy extraordinaire simon stewart is taking over hosting duties for that series and is joined by the one and only ryan palmer to round out the crew for that segment and so i'm standing down on these and letting that rest in their very capable hands but I'll be sticking around for most of the episodes as the main host, so I guess either fear not or I'm sorry, depending on your uh, feelings on the relative merits of my hosting versus Simon's, but, you know, that's how it's going to be. So Ryan and Simon are going to take it away in just a minute here and go through a whole lot of the goings-on in the mountain bike world and beyond, so check it out, hope you enjoy it, and if there's stuff that you think they should be covering in a future iteration, send us an email. Let us know. Keep the uh, ideas flowing here. So we'll give it a go, and I'm excited to share this episode with you guys. But if you want to meet Simon in person and ski with a whole bunch of the Blister crew, you should join them at our upcoming summit, which fires up this coming Sunday in our home of Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. I won't be there this year, unfortunately, hopefully back again next year, but the uh, rest of the gang is going to be there. It's going to be a really good time, and you should check it out. There's a link in the show notes, so give that a click and come hang out. And with that, let's get right to the first iteration of reviewing the news over here on bikes and big ideas with simon stewart and ryan palmer ryan i am beyond thrilled to have you co-host reviewing the news on bikes and big ideas podcast you and i have had a little bit of history um doing this kind of thing and um why don't you start by giving us a, um, a little bit of history about you and perhaps how you ended up in a closet with a microphone and headphones and moving blankets for sound insulation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, we go back a little ways. I think it's been, it's been over 10 years now since we've known each other, which it's a bit of time. Um, and we met while I was gear editor for bike mag, um, in, I believe it must've been 2013, um, in Sedona where we had the Bible of bike tests that year. And, um, yeah, so I was on the media side for about 10 years and, uh, doing that shindig. And I'm now more recently on the brand side. Uh, I recently took a job with spot bicycles, uh, in golden Colorado. So you and I are neighbors now, aren't we? Not too far away. Yeah. And and interestingly, your bike journey, correct me if I'm wrong here, started your bike industry journey, I should say, started very close to Blister headquarters in Crested Butte. Yeah. I, it's 
interesting because uh, I can't really pinpoint when my sort of career in the bike industry started because I'm a second generation bike person. My father is a bike industry guy. And so I was basically born into it. Um, bikes were always everywhere. And uh, I grew up like, you know, going to trade shows and um, yeah, my dad got me my first bike shop job. A friend of his owned a shop in New Jersey. So I started working under the table when I was, I think, 12 or 13, maybe, um, at a bike shop. So that would have been, that would have been my true beginnings. And then, uh, yeah, moved to Colorado and went to school in Gunnison and the, uh, the journey in mountain biking continued. And, uh, that's where I got involved in the racing scene and stuff through Dave Weens and et cetera. So yeah, I've, it's a, it's a lifetime of bikes for me. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I don't remember what did your dad do again in the bike industry? Um, he's mostly sales. Uh, so like in the eighties, he was, um, like national sales manager for Fuji bikes. Um, and then he moved to, uh, Juanu, which was Jameis. Um, and then years later moved to Mavic and he was the, um, U S subsidiary CEO of Mavic for, uh, quite some time, uh, in like the I guess, mid nineties to mid aughts or something like that. And then from uh, Gunnison, what would you say then was your next move moving out of sort of, you've, you've, you've gone to college, you've graduated college and uh, worked in a bike shop. And then what happened next? After that, uh, I started working on the uh, racing scene. So um, Dave Weens was a racer and team manager for this team that existed back in the day called uh, RLX, uh, sponsored by Ralph Lauren. And um, I got a job as a mechanic on that team, through, kind of like through a buddy of mine, Dan, who uh, we worked at the tune-up bike shop together uh, in Gunnison. He now owns the uh, double shop there. And... Um, yeah, I got I got signed on as a mechanic on that team, did it for a year before the team got disbanded. And then I was kind of like, not sure what to do. I moved back to Massachusetts and got a job in the warranty department at Mavic through my dad, of course. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I got a call from Ned Overend on the phone, which was pretty, pretty weird. Um, and he's like, hey, Ryan, uh, Weensy told me that you uh, might be looking for a wrenching gig. You want to come work for specialized factory racing? So I was like, uh, yeah, dude, <laughs> sure. That sounds awesome. So the next, uh, I guess, four or five seasons, I was with uh, specialized factory racing, traveling around the world, doing uh, World Cups and stuff. And I also got a cool opportunity to like hang out with the free ride guys, um, Kyle Strait, Claw, Hunter, those guys, um, and kind of do some of the free ride gigs like earlier on before kind of like anybody else was sending mechanics to that stuff. Those guys were really on their own uh, back then. And um, and so I got to like kind of join that train for a while, uh, which was really fun. So I mean, it's an impressive resume. I've been all over the place uh, in the bike industry. And yeah, it's um, it's been a real, it's been a real journey for sure. Had a lot of cool experiences. The media side was just a blast though, man. That was a, uh, that was a really good, that was a really good time. It's, 
it's hard to see how many struggles the media has gone through in the last couple of years, but keep on hanging on, you know? Yeah, I'm right with you there. Applaud you guys. And, and that's, you know, your, um, your racing, your, your time as a race mechanic is, I think, is a good segue into our, our first news topic um, of this episode, which we might as well just grab that low-hanging fruit right away and, and talk about Greg Menard. Oh, yeah. It's pretty exciting news to see somebody like that so long on that team uh, to see that come to an end. It's pretty wild. I mean, like speaking, I guess, speaking about sort of my um, experience on the World Cup scene, it's been a long time since I've been on that scene and, uh, and Menar was there then and he was on Santa Cruz way back then. Yeah, I know. I think it was 16 years. I mean, and you know, we, we know what happened, right? Like he was teasing on his, um, on his Instagram and his social feeds, like showing these sort of blurred photos and uh, the writing was on the wall. Like most of the, the rumors were that he was going to go to Norco. And I, I think really the, the more interesting point here is, um, after all that time, like what happened to, um, to make that split, to make that split happen. Like it's sort of fascinating when you think about it, like 16 years with the brand. And I, I would have thought inside Santa Cruz, there might've been a push just to keep him till retirement. I know. And, and even beyond really, I mean, this it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, it's, it's a business. These are companies, they have to make money and stuff. Um, and so like, if somebody, isn't pulling their weight or whatever, like, you know, you, you get rid of them, but it's, it's Menar. <laughs> this is Greg Menar we're talking about. One of those legendary races of all time. And like, yeah, maybe he's winding down in his career, but like, I'm sure the dude still has a lot to give, right? Like he's one of the most experienced racers on the planet. Um, he has a reputation of, being really good with bike feedback and stuff. He's very like nitpicky about his setups. And uh, I think he shows a lot of value there. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think it's pretty interesting like to see you, we, I mean, there's pretty good precedent in our, in our industry for, uh, you know, riders to hang around on brands for a long time. I mean, like, and just, I think with the syndicate, like they have a pretty good reputation of hanging on to people for a long time. So it is just a little bit of a surprise to see, see that happen, you know, like, I mean, there's other, other teams who, you know, recycle riders a lot quicker, but the syndicate has been, you know, such a steadfast presence, um, on the world cup scene. And, um, you know, there's been a few players in there have been there for a long time. So yeah, it was definitely a shock for me to see, see that in the news. Same here. It just seemed there would have been a lot of value to, to hold on to him on the RD side. And just for, um, the new riders coming up and through the program. I know they still have Steve Pete, of course, and but still, like I mean, they had the goat. <laughs> they had the they goat. Had the goat. <laughs> like that would seem like something you would want to hold on to. <laughs> I know it's yeah, it's it's really wild. I mean, with all the line items, like you could change the you know the thermostat one degree at the warehouse, and like that would be that would be the that would be like the difference in in cost, right? Like <laughs> it's. 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's on a different budget, whatever, like, they, you know, it's a whole different deal. But I mean, if you got to pinch pennies, like there's other places to do it than getting rid of the goat. Um, and from what I understood, I mean, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this. I just listened to the PB podcast about it. And um, yeah, like, I mean, it sounded like it was a surprise for him and it came late enough in the season that it was a bit of a worry, you know, for him to pick up um, a new partner. And I think this is kind of a, tr- it seems like a bit of a trend this year where, you know, um, that it seems like people are a little like learning a little bit late or they learned a little bit late in the season that um, their contract wasn't going to be re-upped. Um, and it is an especially um, hectic year for all that. So I, yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, it kind of mirrors the bike industry, the bike industry as a whole, it's just been hectic and hard to predict over the last few years. So why should the racing side be any different, I suppose, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's it's one of those years where, you know, every I think everybody struggled a little bit more than they thought they would in 23. And then, you know, if they had riders who whose contracts were coming to an end, you know, some people signed one-year contracts, other people signed multi-year contracts. But if, if this happened to be the end of your contract year, then like, yeah, there was a pretty decent chance you were going to get clipped um, just with everybody trying to cut costs for you know, going into 24. Um, it's a, it's a shame, but yeah, that it happens every so often in, in the racing world, there's like this big mix up. Um, uh, but yeah, I did de- definitely didn't expect the goat to go anywhere. Um, it's, it's like, dude, it's like Ned Overend or Matt Hunter, like these people who have been on specialized forever. And, and like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's wild to see see that happening it isn't it though like you think about cutting costs and then you think about like you just said matt and and ned Overin, and then like riders like hans ray that have um keep getting you know re-signed with gt it seems like forever yeah like <laughs> and, at some point don't you just like oh these people's a career you know like at some point don't you just owe these people a career forever like just you're in you're in now <laughs> you're part of the family we're never letting so. you go yeah, and that's what I would have, I think, honestly, not to be um, selfish, but that's what I would have liked to have seen happen to to Greg Menard. Yeah, it's almost like you owe the guy for, you know, putting his his life on the line for so many years. Um, and like, yeah, it makes me think of Tinker. You know, a couple years ago, I guess it was, Tinker Juarez got let go by uh, Cannondale. And I, I know that they weren't paying him much. Like, it was a very low figure. Um, because, you know, he is another one of those guys. He's been around forever. Like he's, he's still, he still wins the races he enters, but he's, you know, he's, he's an older guy. He's like racing masters and he's, he doesn't have like the, you know, mainstream presence that he did in his heyday. Um, but like, how could you ever let somebody like that go? You know, just pay him his measly amount. I'm shaking my head. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the goat costs a lot yeah, more. Yeah, well, I would imagine so. Yeah, and you know, just let's just hope he just crushes it at Norco, though. Let's yeah see how that goes. And you know, um, it sounds cool. From what he was talking about, there's like some pretty cool, you know, development uh, capabilities there. Really good engineering um, staff, and they want to. Um, yeah, I think I'm excited to see where he goes with it. Yeah, me too. Well, let's move, let's move on. Um, and, um, 
here's a, here's a, here's a bad company now that is going to make a push in the U.S. and it's hard uh, to actually know if you're saying it right, but I believe it's Mondraker. Yeah, I don't know. I say Mondraker. I, yeah, but, I'm saying that right, yeah. don't you think? <laughs> Mon, Mondraker, Mondraker, sure. Yeah, Mondraker. Yeah, what do you um, – you've written some Mondrakers, haven't you? Yeah, it's been it's been a couple of years, um, but we yeah, we got them in for test. What would you remember the most about them? Uh, the The thing that is the most notable for me is the – they were like kind of leading the charge on super long front ends and super short stems. Didn't they have the exactly? Didn't they have the um, that stem that was like straight on top of the steer tube? Yeah, like some of the bikes and just the way that the frame was designed, they just looked long. Oh and god, they were long too. But not only that, they just looked really long. And I remember first seeing was like, "Whoa, that is a long bike." Yeah, I remember like editing photos of you know test bike and. And it and like look the crop looked off. <laughs> it's like the front and rear centers looked so incredibly different. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they definitely had a different. They were extreme. You know, the U.S. market is a market they've actively been trying to have more presence in. And um, this, you know, this move to have an office to do their own distribution in the U.S. They've hired uh, Eric Richter. Do you remember Eric Richter? I do remember Eric Richter. Uh, with, he yeah. was with Jiro forever mm-hmm. as their marketing director. And um, to anybody out there that's um, that's been to some events and have been into the Jiro booth and met one of the nicest guys you've ever met, that's that's Eric Richter. Yeah, for sure. I spoke with him. I, we caught up um, a couple months ago, um, and he was telling me about this this uh, progress that they're making here and that they're going to be opening up an office in Boulder. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's exciting. Like. The bikes were were okay, so they were definitely category pushing in the geometry, but I also remember being pretty expensive as well. And so, yeah, um, we'll see how that goes, and, and with the new models that they'll be coming out with. Um, but they've also put a pretty substantial investment into their DH racing. So they've got one of my favorite riders, Dakota Norton, now riding for them. And one of my other favorite writers, and not just because he's Irish, Ronan Dunn. So, I mean, I love watching that kid ride. And he is Irish. And, you know, what he did, and, and as well as um, Oshin O'Callaghan last year, um, both of those guys had some real breakout seasons. So, I mean, I couldn't have been happier for the Irish DH scene. Oh, for sure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. It made me super happy. But um, they've got a pretty stacked DH lineup, and um, Dakota Norton was really close on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. last um, last year to taking uh, to taking away his, his first win. Yeah, for sure, that dude's quick, and it's cool. Um, it's cool hearing him talk about the the scene too. Like I listen to the the Vital podcast, and he's on that a lot. And um, yeah, he's a he's a he's a very tuned on guy. And he also like. This is a sidebar, but he also signed with Yoshimura Cycling. And like, yeah. you ride moto, right? I do ride moto. I remember you having lots of motos. And like, I was like, Yoshimura Cycling? I never heard of it. I mean, I didn't, I'll be honest with you, it's embarrassing, but I didn't know they made um, bike parts. Yeah, they make this pretty goofy stem that like can convert between being a direct mount DH and like one that goes on a regular single crown fork, like on a steer tube. Um, 
which to be honest, I don't see any demand for whatsoever. Um, but it looks pretty cool. They make high end stuff and like it, I, if they have a interest and an eye on, uh, the cycling market, then I'm excited to see what else they come up with. I was just on their site today just because I was like, gosh, I, I don't know anything that they make. And, yeah. and it was like, it's basically pedals and stems and some soft goods. Yeah. The, the pedals, um, they look pretty good. I haven't actually ridden them cause I don't ride flats. Um, but I've heard good things. Do you ride flats? Oh no. Occasionally at the bike park, but yeah. mostly no. So neither yeah. of us will experience these things. Yeah. Well, I wish, you know, I wish them, um, Mond Raker lock in there, you know, in the U S push and hopefully things work out well for him and got a friend on the inside with Eric there and just, yeah, hope good things for them in the future here. So yeah, for sure. You know, um, there's been a lot of, you know, so lots of turbulent time for, for bike companies and especially for, it seems like UK bike companies, yeah. especially, oh, you know, gosh. orange bikes for one that seems to be in a little bit of trouble currently. And yeah, I don't think they're a very well-known brand in the U S would you, would you agree with that? Orange? Yeah. I guess I don't, I don't know if I have my finger on that pulse of like, I, I've just known about them forever because they've been around forever. They've been gracing every magazine I ever read when I was a kid and they always had such a unique look and um, they're easy to criticize just because they've been the same. <laughs> they, they like sort of, it was like. They're like the ma- they're like the mountain bike action of bicycle brands where it's just like they're doing the same thing over and over and over and over. But um, they're so iconic, you know, um, and I don't mean to give them a hard time or anything because like, you know, like if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they I mean, it's just one of those iconic legendary brands been around forever. So uh, it sucks that they're seeing hard times. Um, but I don't know. Does it sound like they're maybe figuring it out? It seems like it. And I pulled this off of um, the UK publication, uh, Mountain Bike Rider. And I think if you're going to try and get any news on them, going to a UK publication is a good place to start. Uh, it seems like they've acquired their frame manufacturing partner and did a little bit of depth, restru- depth restructuring. And so looks like they're going to be sticking around anyhow. Yeah. To um, continue to make bikes with a unified rear triangle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in the, and the other UK bike company that sort of comes to mind is Chain Reaction Cycles and Nukeproof, having also a little bit of difficulty over across the pond. So I'm not sure where where they're at now, but it was, it was interesting timing in that one because it corresponded almost exactly with SRAM's um, powertrain release, and they were one of like four companies that got the powertrain and had a bike. And I'm like, oh, things are looking good for Nukeproof, right? This is exciting. And then like a week later, it was like, they're shutting the doors. I'm like, wait, what happened? So, I mean, another big surprise. And I'm not sure where that one's gone either. Do you have any, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, it sucks to see them uh, kind of fold like that because it, it seemed like they were gaining momentum, actually. They had a uh, team in the U.S., um, a friend, uh, Lacey Kemp, uh, industry veteran, she's been around, um, uh, and yeah, she, she had a job with them and like, it seemed like they were like really kind of, you know, amping up 
And then all of a sudden, it seemed like it was just like one day, we're done. You know, pull pull the plug. Can't get the funding. We're done. Um, so yeah, that was that was a real shocker for, to see that. And and um, yeah, it sucks to see industry friends, uh, you know, go through that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, seems to be in the air a little bit. That's for sure. It's crazy times. Yeah. Yeah. Gorilla gravity. You know, I mean, there's a there's a lot of a lot of hectic stuff happening in the bike industry. So. Um, looking forward to that correcting itself, people buying bikes again. <laughs> I know, right? It's just, it's been such a fickle time on the, on the manufacturing side and maybe even more so on the retail side, which, you know, I have unfortunately quite a bit of experience that recently. And, yeah. um, that was a pretty turbulent place to be. And, um, Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't you, seem like it's going to be resetting as we move into 24. It seems like we're in for another probably challenging year. Yeah. It seems like the estimates are that. Um, we'll see what happens when the buying season comes around. But yeah, we might be in for another um, not 100% year. Let's we'll call it that. <laughs> Let's call it that. And I think, you know, for the consumers out there, they're getting a little bit trained into having these deep discounts now, which is really tricky when you are trying to run a retail shop and there's just industry-wide discounts going on and mm-hmm. everybody's sort of waiting for those discounts to happen now. You're like, the buying season's going to come, but people may wait to see if there's going to be, you know, just those big discounts that there were last year yeah. happening again. I know. Yeah. It's really, um, it's interesting. And at, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to see brands, um, sort of like end their forever sales. You know, it's like, it was like, seemed like people were doing black Friday sales that rolled into, you know, Christmas sales that rolled into new year's sales that rolled into whatever, you know? So, um, it seemed like people were just sort of like taking the same stuff and to sort of like re branding it as a, you know, different, exciting sale and like slowly bringing the, you know, the discounts deeper. But I, I have seen a few brands start to like mark things back up and, you know, maybe that's a sign that people are getting through some of their inventory and, you know, they're on to the new, new, and they can start hopefully charging more closer to retail. But we'll see. It sounds like there's a lot of extra product out there at the moment. So, Yeah, it does seem that way still. Well, we'll, we'll see how things roll into 24, but um, I think we're both expecting it to be another interesting year with sort of unpredictable results when it comes to, you know, the bike industry as a whole. Yeah. And what looks like a very interesting race season coming up as well on the DH side. Yeah, for sure. Um, we haven't really talked much about the enduro side but we'll um we'll get into that in one of our next episodes of um reviewing the news yeah yeah i'm excited to see what kind of products come out this year and to see like if you know companies are slow rolling releases and kind of holding off on that or if it's going to be like a big launch year for some of the bigger brands and stuff so yeah excited to see launch season start to roll up in the next couple months yeah, me too. Always, it's always a good time of year, and I, 
less so than it was in the past because now there doesn't seem to be any schedule to launching bikes like there had been previously. They just sort of come out basically all the time. <laughs> yeah, basically ever. It like from like, like it seems like March on. It seems like. Yeah, sort of on that new new bike and what to expect. You know, there's well, there's less sort of bike shows than there has been. I mean, there's not much going on in that department, but there is made, which is a handmade bike show. Now, before that, there was NAB's North American Handmade Bike Show, which is no more. And it seems like Made has sort of stepped into those shoes. And um, they've, um, they've added um, an event in Australia outside of um, Melbourne, a town called Victoria, um, August 23rd to 25th. Now, I haven't been to one of those Made shows, but have been to a NAB show quite a few years ago, actually, in Denver. And I thought it was really great. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. I mean, it's uh it's it's just really cool to see sort of the artist's side of the bike scene, you know? I mean, there's so much like churn and burn with bikes that um it can get tiresome and like I think the just the philosophy around like celebrating the art of of the bicycle is really is really cool. People make some really awesome stuff. Um, as like a sort of person who has focused a lot on, you know, performance high-end mountain bikes, uh, that's not always been the place I, you know, I've gone. I have, I, you know, I didn't cover it as a, um, you know, mountain bike journalist very much um, because, well, there's not a lot of, uh, what you would call, I mean, I don't know. There's not, there's not traditionally been a lot of like full suspension mountain bikes there because a lot of full suspension, you know, a lot of high end full suspension mountain bikes are, you know, carbon and made in Taiwan, even though it is by hand, all that stuff's laid up by hand by people. Um, it's uh yeah, it's a really cool scene. The made show. I, I really would like to get out there this year. Um, and the, what's cool, I think about made is um, from what they've said, like they're going to keep it in in the same place. So like Portland will always be, you know, home for made. So I think the philosophy there is that it's more predictable for, you know, people who are planning on exhibiting, um, like they know that it's always going to be there. They know uh, maybe around what time of year it's going to be, because some of these projects might take a year or more to put together, right? Like all these handmade elegant, super cool, rad projects that people put together. Um, yeah, I think it's just like a relief that a show like this still exists because, um, and, you know, it's going to carry on into the future because um, bikes are cool and the artist side of bikes is really cool. Yeah. And when when you were talking about sort of the, the high-end mountain bikes and not really having, you know, honestly much of a place in the handmade bike show or made for that matter, and then there's this resurgence of steel full suspension bikes and really good ones, right? Um, David Golay, our, our uh, sorry, David Golay, our bike editor, um, absolutely loves like the Starling Murmur and um, he's written the Kotic um, or Kotic. Uh, another one of those ones I probably said wrong. And... Uh, then of course there's Reeb and um, they've got a catalog of steel bikes and steel full suspension bikes. So there's something going on there and these bikes are good. And 
you know, full suspension, you know, steel bikes really didn't used to be that good. Yeah. I mean, it always seemed like a bit of a joke to be honest, um, for a period of time, at least it's like, why would you bother doing that? You know, <laughs> it's going to be too heavy, too flexy. It's just not steel just didn't seem like the right material for a full suspension bike for a long time. You know, it's like, okay, if you're not going to do carbon, then aluminum is the, you know, the next best thing that makes sense. Um, and then steel sort of just seemed to be like trailing way off the back there. And there was a couple there, you know, there's always been a few people who have been like trying it and sort of persisting. Uh, but there is a real resurgence now. Um, and maybe not even resurgence because I think there's more steel full suspension bikes than ever before. I haven't I haven't been on any of these sort of new um, generation, although I'd say was, I don't know if that's even right to say this new generation of steel full suspension bikes. But um, I've, I've told David, especially um, on that Starling, and um, man, I'd like to ride that bike. You love it, so I mean, I'm, it's gonna be good. Yeah, I really want to ride one of these modern ones because um, it's easier to make bikes stiff now um, with axle standards and stuff like that. And then, you know, not having to, um, design around multiple chain rings or front derailers, like it gives a lot more possibility in, you know, how you shape the tubes and where you put stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting time for bike design and it's really, it's, it's very cool to see. Um, I think for me, like to be able to go to a show like made and see bikes that I'm more interested in personally, you know, it's like all the other stuff is, is really cool. Like all the, you know, urban bikes that people make all the, you know, crazy road stuff, gravel stuff is huge in the handmade, you know, arena. Um, but like none of that's really my main interest in bikes. My main interest in bikes is high end mountain biking. Um, and it's like, it's cool to see that represented there at a show like that. And it, I, I just think it's awesome that, you know, you know, you could be like a engineering student and then be learning how to weld in your garage and like come up with this stuff and have it be covered, um, you know, by the industry, like, cause there's some really small makers out there doing some pretty cool stuff. And, um, it's, yeah, it's an exciting time for full suspension bikes and hopefully we'll see some like brands that have some real lasting power like come out of this trend you know whether they stick with steel or they move on to different materials um it's very cool yeah i know you're super cool well let's um let's shift gears here um and have a quick you know discussion about trail access you sent me this um this link to um the bolt act and i think that's pretty interesting and um what um what's going on there exactly so it's biking on long distance trails. Yeah. So the bolt act is a piece, um, the way I understand it and to be totally perfectly honest here, Simon, um, I, I found this article, um, like minutes before we started recording. So I haven't done a ton of research on it, but, um, the, it's a piece of this other act called the explore act, um, which is expanding public lands, outdoor recreation experiences. Um, and the House unanimously voted to expand this 
Um, and the bolt act is like a bicycling centric portion of it, um, which is like bicycling on long distance trails, which is pretty cool. It's like the divide trail and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, like I said, without having done a ton of research into it yet, um, it just sounds like what it's going to do is an, enable us to recognize and mark um, and like, you know, maintain some of these longer trails. And I think that the minimum requirement is like 80 miles or something. Um, so, yeah, it's just cool to see something, you know, in in legislation that is regarding off-road mountain biking. Yeah. And like the whole like long distance trails, that's, I mean, this has picked my interest quite a bit. And then I just kind of, I, um, I hit that link just for, just for a minute there. And it, um, it's including some existing trails and then there's provisions for new trails, obviously, um, the ones that are already in there, like the Matahay trail, the divide trail, uh, yeah, over 80 miles and, Man, that's fascinating. So I'm definitely going to do a little bit more reading on that, but that was a good find. Yeah, there's one in Oregon that went in, um, like that was established um, just a couple of years ago. Um, that looks really cool. And um, yeah, the Arizona Trail is another, you know, really long, super awesome route. Um, I rode half of it once um, and it was probably the best time I've ever had on a bike, to be honest. Like bikepacking is really What, what half? Really like. Fun. I don't know. Just bike, like we did, we did, um, South to North, like the Southern half and like kind of before you get to the grand Canyon, because on the AZT, you actually, it crosses the grand Canyon and you have to obviously walk that section with, and people like put their bikes on their backs and walk through the Canyon. Yeah, um, we did not yeah. do that. And it also I, took I us like either. 10 I've days. The South stuff as well. Oh yeah. It's so like, there's some really cool, uh, it's like, it's like rowdy technical single track and you, we, you know, you have to climb over Mount Lemon, which is a pretty big mountain. And like, I don't know, it took us like 10 days or something to, to ride the 350 miles. Like we were not in a hurry. <laughs> um, do you, um, but it was fun. Do you remember going through this, uh, this funky town called superior? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Right. Where there's, um, one of the more known sections of that trail is the picket how is it the picket, picket post. post section yeah yeah that post is that section uh, is really cool that section is really cool yeah. yeah oh man so yeah that's interesting stuff and definitely requires a bit more research um maybe we'll report back on our next uh, review in the news and see um see where that's at let's um let's segue into some some new products and um yeah i think that'll um that'll wrap it up for us so we've got the one up v3 dropper post yeah uh this is something i'd i'd like to check out um their other droppers have been really good and um the new one is lighter it has more guides it's got a better seal it's got and it's changed from like an air cartridge to this like sealed gas cartridge that's actually totally recyclable um which I think will mean that you won't be able to change uh, like how fast the post comes up using air pressure. Like it's not going to be air uh, like the, the air pressure is not adjustable, you know, it's a sealed cartridge, Um, but it's cool that it's like totally recyclable. Um, And apparently they, 
they reduce the amount of like force that it takes to actually push the lever. So like actuating the post should be sort of like easier on your thumb muscles. Um, and, uh, and it's pretty light, like the 240 millimeter drop one is 610 grams, which, um, not a huge weight weenie, but, uh, that's almost a hundred grams lighter than the reverb axis post, which is, um, my favorite post, even though it doesn't have enough travel. Um, my favorite pose too, even though it doesn't have enough travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give it more because travel. there is no, well, there's like, Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but I did, I gave myself this horrible thumb injury, um, last year, or was it the year before a skier's thumb basically where you rip your thumb back and tear the, um, the ligaments, the whole things together. Oh shit. Were you holding your forever, ski pole the wrong, like was the strap around your thumb the wrong way or something? No, I did this. I did this riding my bike. I, um, oh. I was riding my bike and. I was looking behind me to see where my friends were and I clipped a tree or something and just punched the ground so hard. My hand was wrapped around the handlebar and then it just ripped my thumb back when it hit the ground because I didn't even see it coming. It happened so fast. Yeah. Anyway, that was a super annoying um, injury that took way too long to heal. But (laughs) what I'm getting here is that the reverb post was the only one I could actuate while this thing was healing. You didn't have enough. didn't have any power in that thumb. No. Oh, wow. that's, you know, yeah, that's funny. That, that's how I switched to grip shift when I was like 12 or 13 or something. Uh, back then it was like, must've been seven or eight speed. I'm dating myself now. Um, but I was running like, you know, rapid fire STX RC shifters or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I was mountain biking at, at Mount Snow and ate shit and hurt my thumb and the only way I could ride was if I put grip shifters on the bike and I was a grip shift guy until probably 2004 or five. Um, when everybody was, Dang. everybody, I was the last holdout. <laughs> I was like, grip shift rules. I still have it on my townie. No, 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 no. You know, when, when I, um, when I was running the, um, the bike shop, there was still grip shift people that came in and they, I mean, the grip shift is really good now. If you've, if you've used like an XX grip shift when it's got these beautiful smooth action oh, and it's beautiful, very accurate shifts, it's actually really, really good. You can And you can I mean, get every shift it, in one I, throw. You can just go from your yeah. 10 to your 52 in one go. It was really, really good. You know, um, I've heard um, Stan um, from SRAM, he's the S in SRAM, mm-hmm. and um, his sort of... You know, his description of how he invented grip shift is pretty, it's pretty um, fascinating. And basically, um, he was, you know, he was riding road bikes and um, triathlons, actually. Um, and <laughs> was like the roads were really potholy and it was terrifying to have to reach down to your down tube to shift your bike. Yeah. So like, they were like, well, we need to have a way to shift the bike on the handlebars. And that was sort of the genesis of grip shift was just so that Stan was a terrible bike rider. The roads were really bad (laughs) and he was terrified. So he just like made something to make him less scared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The first product was a road shifter, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a road shifter. So that's pretty cool. Well, on that, um, on that one up dropper, the V3, I was going to say that. I thought that the V2 dropper was one of the best on the market, period. Yeah. For the price and how smooth the dropper, sorry, the 
the amount of drop that it had in the increments and you could adjust it as well um, because it would come with you know it'd be like 220 to 240 or 180 to 200 yeah and um they had you know a nice dropper most of the time ended up going with the light action wolf tooth um remote with it that really made it feel yeah, a little less bearing in it. lighter action yeah exactly yeah but the post itself worked really, really well and was one of you know more competitively priced posts on the market. And like I said, when I was running um, the shop, that would be that was my number one selling dropper post because it's the one I recommended every single time, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's like you shouldn't, you can't really like overstate how big of an impact the one up dropper post had on the dropper market. Like it really it really splashed onto the scene and like, and disrupted it. I mean, it like essentially took Fox off the radar for most people like Fox, the powerhouse suspension brand. And, you know, it's like they, everybody was like coveting their transfer post. And when the run-up came out, everybody's like, yeah, this works better. And it's like half the price. I don't I don't think it was half the price, but you know, and, and, and like every bike manufacturer started specking it and, you know, it was a long, it came in longer drops. Like it was reliable. It was, you know, low resistance. Just they did a really good job in designing that thing and putting it out there and, and supporting it and everything. So definitely props to one up for that. They deserve it. And definitely props. Well, but is, looks pretty sweet. If you remember, like the one of the things that really set it apart was the um, was the clamp because they took the clamp and they angled it down around the head, so you could get more drop in your post with the one up than you could with anybody else's post. So if you had, if you were maxed out and you were down to your seat collar, and the most you could fit in there on the Fox would be a one eighty, there was a good chance you could get a two hundred or more one up in there. Yeah, that's the other thing and about the one up they, is the stack on it is really low. Like it's a I think it's like a thirty really millimeter low. stack, which almost everybody else is, yeah, forty at least. Um so yeah, very low stack, which is that's a de- another benefit. As lo- if you, as long as your seat tube is long enough to get that sucker in there, then you can get more more drop out of it. It's good. Yeah, no, fantastic post. Anyhow, so and then what else we got? We got some, um, uh, Markov is going to be putting some gloves out. They have some D30 production on the knuckles. Those should be pretty good. Um, anything else you can think of? It's pretty slow right now. We just have a dropper post and gloves. But yeah, that's um, that's all that's on the list right here. Uh, I just thought it was funny. I put I threw those Markov gloves on there because Markov is a lube company. And so this is, and this is their first thing uh, their first entry into the apparel side. So I wonder if that's a play for them. Are they going to get into apparel now? Maybe rain gear muck off, you know, makes sense. It does make sense. You know, it kind of will play in with their fender lineup, right? Yeah. Do they do fenders as well? Uh, I don't know. They do, they do their, their lubes and stuff are, is it, their line of lubes is really good. They have a power washer. Um, They've got some tools. Their cleaning kit's also really good. I'm a fan of muck off. Their stuff's nice. Well, so, let's um gloves now. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> gloves. Why not <laughs> to, to wear while you're wiping off your chain? <laughs> I don't even know if they make like mechanics gloves, which that would make sense first. But yeah, no, they're, that they're would actually make sense. riding gloves. I, I'm just picturing them having like more, more 
stuff like like vendors and things like that but maybe they don't maybe i'm thinking of a different brand altogether yeah they might just do like you said just cleaning uh brushes lubes power washers all on that all on that side hmm. all on the okay. bike and now care side yeah. okay so bike care now Indeed. rider care good move good move makov <laughs> well i think that um i think that should wrap it up ryan and uh thanks oh man, i just can't thank you enough for uh for co-hosting this with me and um We'll be doing this as a series. We'll be doing it every month around this time, around the end of the month. So we can recap what happened during that month and see what else is happening out there in the bike industry. And um, again, yeah, thank you so much for being here and um, look forward to our our next review in the news. Yeah, Simon, it's been a pleasure. um, And I'm glad you rang me up for this opportunity. Um, I'm looking forward to doing some more of these things. And uh, yeah should hang out see each other in person all right sounds good (laughs) come to the blister summit it's next sunday starting february 4th so we'll see you there with bells on right oh for sure yeah let's slide around on some snow together perfect okay all right thanks bud and um we'll uh we'll see you on the next uh the next edition cheers all right cheers mate all right well david popping back in here to say thanks to ryan and simon for this inaugural bike focused iteration of reviewing the news and as always we'd appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice to keep the show going and growing and drop a note in the comments to let us know what you thought of the new show here or give some ideas for topics that ryan and simon should cover next month i'll be back next week with a whole lot more and so keep listening looking forward to talking to y'all next week Bye, everybody.